Before we begin this hour and a half of qualified celebration, let me get everybody's one-word reactions to the Miko Ranton and signing today. Yes! Dope. Satisfied. And mine is finally. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league? Yeah, we are. Nathan McKinnon! Oh, Captain! My Captain! Do you know the way to San Jose? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for September 29th, 2019, or September 30th, whatever. That's the actual Monday. Coming up this season, lots of things that we're going to talk about on this show. But before we play the whoosh, time for your disembodied voices of the week. Joining us, as almost always, is Earl. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. As she joins us on most shows, we have Jackie. How are you? Doing better. And fresh off a bunch of other podcasts is Rudo. How are you? Good. I think this is podcast number seven this week. So one for every day. So let's get a little show news out of the way off the top here. First thing, Burgundy Radio is now available on Spotify in addition to all the places it's been before. So Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, other RSS-based podcasting apps. So that's cool. Hey. Uh, Second thing... At least as the season gets underway, we've agreed that the show's better off if we don't release an episode every single week. Here at first, we're looking at roughly every other week release. That doesn't always mean it'll be one week on and one week off, because sometimes the schedule won't align with that. Um, but we will never take two weeks off in a row. It'll always be either one or zero weeks of break between shows. Um, so stay tuned here and on Twitter at Burgundy Radio for the latest when games pick up after the Super Bowl. I mean the All-Star Game. We'll likely go back to once a week, and most definitely for the playoffs, that will be the plan. This should keep every episode fresher and better. Uh, it's going to be good, y'all. But not as good as Miko Rantanen, who finally signed on Saturday six years. Well done there. $9.25 million cap hit. Well done there. Um, why'd he miss camp in preseason for this? Wait. Don't know. Wasn't worth the wait. I had to take him nine and a quarter over six uh, in last October for him. So, yeah, yeah it does seem so unnecessary that this is a good deal for both sides, and it took some massive teeth pulling to get here. I mean, did it? I mean, we don't really know what went on. Like, you know, were, were they really not talking for large stretches the last few weeks? Uh... You know, that, that's just, that, that's something that, that we're not privy to. Well, maybe there was <clears throat> um, never animosity. We don't know. But I mean, to sign yeah, on the just, last day of preseason, there obviously was some problem there. And that he was the second to last big RFA to sign. Well, I mean, there, he, there was know, some he's arguably the best, there. you know, he's arguably the best RFA. So, you know, just by position, it's not surprising he waited until the end. <laughs> Shots, Toronto. Shots. It's completely <laughs> unnecessary it took this long. I, I Obviously, as you may be able to tell from how I framed that, I agree. Um, th- these are basically <laughs> numbers we've been hearing since brr, draft. Like, 
we've been we've been hearing it's going to be longer term, probably not eight because nobody can really lock that down, but five to seven years, somewhere in between nine and ten million dollars all summer long. It's like it's just okay. Hopefully, it doesn't slow him down to start the season too much. Um. He's been skating with a professional team, even though it's not an NHL team. He's been skating with H.C. Byrne in Switzerland. He uh, went back to Finland over the weekend, along with uh, Patrick Laine, who also signed a bridge deal. Um, and uh, he should be on his way to get back to the United States tomorrow. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's an adult. He should be completely prepared. He understands what the Avalanche expect as far as conditioning and things are concerned. Maybe it takes him a game or two, but the reality of, of chemistry and things I'm not worried about at all because you just drop him in on the three-headed monster and don't worry about it, right? I think especially with Burakovsky already falling out of favor, you're you're not going to start with anything else. Donskoy can keep up on that line, and I think that's probably their plan B, but you're, you're not putting Miko on a different line because of Donskoy. And... And like you said, if you're going to put him somewhere he's comfortable, there's chemistry, you just put him back where where it used to be. But there is no substitute for NHL shape, and he'll be fine, but I would not be surprised if he had a slow start. I mean, it's not like any of the vets ever played this preseason. I mean, it's been a total <laughs> AHL preseason, so I mean, I don't really feel he's missed anything. I mean, McKinnon... Can we talk played about that? in I use that <laughs> I use that term very loosely. Played in two games and he was in the lineup. Know, I'm not sure he, yeah, I'm not sure he got much out of either of them. So <clears throat> um it, it really seems like the plan that the Avs had this whole preseason was to look around at, at sort of the bubble guys and some of their younger guys in, in the early part. Um which, you know, I think that's great. I think it's, you know, I think it's terrible if you have your vets in your, you know, a, a full lineup of vets in your second and third games. That's that's pointless. I so, think we'll see by the time we get to the next podcast if that was a great idea or not. Yep. <laughs> and a little also, more probably would have been better, but, I, you know, if, again, if they're only going to take it as seriously as they have been when they're in the lineup, then it is what it is. And the next watch will be the immigration watch. We've seen a couple guys with hang-ups, and that's no guarantee that Mika will have a hang-up, but we'll see. It is a process, and hopefully it's one that won't prevent him from playing on Thursday, but we'll see. Yeah. So just to kind of move through this pretty quickly, um, Miko's deal is, like we said, for six years, the total is $55.5 million. There are no signing bonuses. It's all salary. He'll make $12 million each of the next two seasons. He'll make 10 the season following that. Um, the fourth year of this deal, he's down to $6 million. The fifth year is back up to nine point five, And then the sixth year is, again, $6 million. Yeah, I... No signing bonus, which was something that was kind of going around that the Avs didn't want to give, so I guess they ended up getting that. The $6 million in the fourth year, at least, is the lockout protection that they were willing to do, because that's the year that, where the league could potentially have a lockout, so they tried to front-load it to guarantee him some money. What about the sixth season? I don't really know on that one, to probably be honest. The, you probably have to have that just to have the $12 million. 
up front. It's got to come yeah. from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but it could have been the fifth year or, or whatever. I don't know if there's a particular reason that it would have I, to be the sixth. Yeah. In a way, it's easier for the Avs to move because, I, not that you would want to, but it just gives them options to move a player with with lower salary than cap hit. At the time, if disaster strikes or whatever and they have to do it i think it in a way it kind of benefits the team but it also benefits him like i said because that, that's what helps him get get his 12 million up front yeah because 12 million now is worth a lot more than 12 million six years from now so that makes that six million six years him. from now possibly in a much smaller percentage of the cap right so I don't know how much else there really is to say on the Miko Rantan and deal other than this is a minor failure that it took this long. Um, but we're all very happy with the number. We're all very happy with the years. Um, and let's it's a good deal for both sides. Yeah, it, it's yeah. right around the middle and right around where we kind of figured. And I always said they had to get at least six, so I'm very happy with that. And I think it at at the dollars it. I even say it slightly favors the Avs with the dollars, but it's also a, over $9 million. So that's still a lot of money. Yeah. All right. So the preseason is over, and the Avalanche finished with a record of dunno and who cares? I really don't want to spend a huge amount of time on this because the final roster cuts will probably happen over the next day or two. And now that Miko Rantanen has signed... And there aren't that many spots open up front. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about the moves they've already made, though. Um, we're recording this on the evening of Saturday, September 28th. So maybe some roster moves may trickle through as we speak. But doubtful they'll probably be tomorrow, would be my guess. Um, but let's start with the big one. Uh, Bowen Byram returns to his WHL club. And here's my discussion question for y'all. It seems fine? <coughs> yeah. I, yes and no. I, I'm I'm fine with it. I never thought that he was a real major player to make the team. And if they were going to keep him, it was going to be because he showed the ability to, to be there all year. And I, I think that became pretty evident early in camp that that wasn't going to be the case. And, and that's no bad reflection on him. For his age and the role he's going to be expected to play with the Avs, um, it's just it's not the right time yet. <clears throat> yeah, it. Everyone wanted him to get the nine games. I think the Avs wanted him to get, get nine games, but he just did not show enough in the preseason. He was not the same player he was down in juniors. He did have flashes of it, but particularly on the defensive side, the consistency just wasn't there. And then you had some other players straight up outplaying everyone else, and that made it easier to send him that and send him back. Yeah. I didn't really expect him to stay all year, but I think they could have taken more time. I think there was value in keeping him around. They they had the time. It's like once you make the decision, you can't reverse it. So I don't think there's any harm in taking more time. I wouldn't have sent him back this early. I don't necessarily saying I would have played him nine games either. Somewhere in between. So it's fine what they did, but I just think it was a little hasty. 
I don't totally disagree with that either. It would there is probably value for him to have in continuing to play a few more preseason games. Um and as uh, as AJ wrote on DNVR, like a, a lot of this situation comes down to there the right place for him doesn't exist. Yeah, he definitely the AHL would have been perfect for him. It just would have. But unfortunately, that's not an option. On the one hand, for Byram specifically, maybe a little bit of more preseason time could have done him some good. But the fact is the Avs had other bodies that they need to look at and they need to make decisions on. So it would have been hard to get him into a game and try and sort out your opening night roster. See, I don't think the AHL would have been a good place for him at all this year. And I, the, more, the more I think about it, I just don't like teenagers in the AHL in general. Um, it, it just, it, it, for me, if you're good enough to be a pro and play against men, then you should be good enough to be in the NHL. And, and if not, I think staying with your peer group is the best way to, to you know, further your game. Um, I just, I don't, I don't see, especially with the abs, but, uh, you know, this would probably go for just about any team in the AHL. It just, I, I don't think it's a great place for, for teenagers to develop. I'm I'm leaning more and more that way myself too. It's just it's also not a place for high end talent either. It, it, a full year there is is not a good situation. And if he's afforded the opportunity, say at the end of the year to play in the AHL, I think that'd be perfect. We'll see. Yeah. He's his team's supposed to be good, so don't hold your breath there. But something like that, I think, is more beneficial. I agree. It just seems like every young player that goes to the AHL, it just doesn't benefit them teenagers yeah. going to the hl and but yeah i also agree too bad there aren't options like i don't know europe something else it just it is unfortunate that these players are stuck in between and they don't really get what they need i mean i don't want to try and sound like nathan chapman here but i mean what's <laughs> you know what's so bad about the whl i mean it's a good league it's full of players his own age that are you know, fairly high-end talent. AJ brought up a really good point there. It's not the league necessarily, it's Byram's situation specifically. He's playing in a situation on a team where he's going to go ham in the forward direction. And we saw clearly the biggest area of work that he needs is defensively. And he's just not going to get a ton of that in Vancouver. I I mean, they've got to play defense sometime, don't they? Yeah, I'm kind of in between there. I mean, he is going to have to defend, especially if this team's his team's going to go far. Like the playoffs, defending in the playoffs. Uh, of be course, no joke, he's going to but... have to defend, but his role on the team is going to be play a million minutes and move the puck forward, not round out your defensive game and shut down. Yeah, pretty much. And we saw it last night. He's just the things that he can do offensively. He's just so aggressive, and that's that's the way he plays there. Well, I mean, if they do something like staple Brett Clark to him for most of the year, and, (laughs) you know, if he's getting side coaching on more NHL-type tactics and strategies and and trying to work that into his game, you know, I think... I think what happened with Makar was was sort of the same plan. I, I, I think that Clark had something to do with that as well, so... You know, there is a precedent for it working. 
I mean, sure, look, he'll be just fine in the dub. I don't sure think will there will be any problems with Bo and Byron, yeah. but there could be better, I think. Well, at least the World Juniors will give him an opportunity for a different type of competition. <laughs> Watch and that's Canada not take him difficult. for stupid reasons. <laughs> I, you, you never know, but I would say Hockey Canada's a fan. So how how deep did the Kale McCarr earworm get in there to tell exactly. him to say no? <laughs> how bad do they hate the Avs? Um, I you know I think for a guy like Byram, like college is is probably the best kind of development place for a guy that's really good like that. Just because you're you're not exactly playing against men, but you are playing against older players and more experienced players. Um, but it's just you know you can't just pop into college on a whim. And if there was sort of a an equivalent to that that's not scholastically affiliated, that would be really nice for you know for a, a, probably the elite of the CHL. Just have them go to the CIS. <laughs> <laughs> that's the opposite of the elite of the CHL. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole situation is is really just built around making sure the CHL stays financially viable because like there's transfer agreements between the CHL and the IIHF there's transfer agreements between the NHL and the CHL which is designed on keeping players who are not quite NHL level in the CHL as opposed to in other places which might benefit them better and that's what it comes down to is it's the league is trying to continue making more money so yeah and in you know in the defense of that agreement I mean how many guys does it really hurt but if, if if that's your player, it, it you're not looking at, at the percentage. It's I know, it should be but... on a case by case basis. I mean, when people make that argument, like, oh, the CHL needs their stars. Every single year, there's going to be a player that an NHL team keeps that they wouldn't normally want to keep in the NHL, but they're not sending them back to the CHL. It happens every single year, and it's right. like the CHL team isn't benefiting by having that player. Anyway, so <laughs> you're talking about like three people a year at most that this affects. So maybe it takes away a star or two, but it really shouldn't have that big of an impact league wide for the CHL. And and I'll throw this out here. Let's say that he was on something like last year's Kootenai team. You know, really bad team. You know, would that change how you feel on you know, whether he should have been sent down so quickly or at all. You know, does the fact that the Giants are a contender and a good team, does that sort of make this decision e easier for the Avalanche? Well, I mean, Kootenai, well, Winnipeg now is going to be sick this year, so maybe not right. the best but, example, but... No, but I'm saying but, last year. Like a you bad know, team. It, Yeah, no, well, I hear you. Yeah. Um, it, again, case-by-case case basis. You know, if it's right. a bad team where that guy's going to play 35 minutes a night and, and get all the work that he needs to, fine. But depending on what they need to work on, it, you have to consider it. Yeah. But I, now more and more 19-year-olds stick in the league. So 18 is maybe asking a little too much. If they're going to change the rule, then they would change it to 19-year-olds. And so many 19-year-olds now make the NHL. Yeah, and not that we ever got like a really good look at him in the locker room and stuff, but he's kind of a beanpole, and he really did need sort of the physical growing that he's going to get, regardless really, of where he plays. He really did look little on the ice. I noticed that immediately. 
Um, yeah, he looks but literally I, in the locker room. <laughs> honestly, the like the situation he's going into, I don't think should affect the decision that's being made at all. It should be made about like where is his spot on the on the NHL roster? Is that benefiting him or not? Um, and then the situation he's going into may change like how you feel about it, but it shouldn't change the decision that you're making. Yeah, and if he was on a terrible team, they probably would force a trade, which is, like, what's going to happen to, say, like, Delandria. He's going back to Flint, they'll probably force a trade, so... That's true. Yeah. There are options that way, so... Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, sure I there's think some... You can, you can craft a good situation for him no matter what in, this, in the WHL. You can move him for a pick in, like, 2029 or something. <laughs> <laughs> CHL trades are hilarious. So, um, they've also reassigned some of the contenders we were watching for the fourth line, uh, namely Sheldon Dries, well done there, Logan O'Connor, well done indeed, as well as Martin Kaut, who, more than anything else, might just lose a numbers game here. Uh, what could he have done to make the opening night roster that he wasn't able to do? Score hat. Better trick. last year. Shane Bowers be worse. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think don't it... think Bowers... Jason Magna be worse. I, I be twenty five years old. Yeah, that would help for <laughs> sure. But I, I, I think I do think some of this comes back to what he looked like last year, and it just he didn't have the track record. I think I, I think every time I saw him, I enjoyed his play. I thought he played well. Um, <clears throat> he looked a lot more NHL ready than he did even towards the end of last year. So. I think he definitely made a lot of progress over the summer as far as getting physically bigger and stronger and, and being able to play more of a, a physical game and win board battles. Well, they're not uh, going to keep anyone that doesn't have NHL experience. And then that gets back to me pounding the table saying that you better give him some. Well, it's just or I, else next I think anyone could agree that his, I, I think his situation last year just made it such that he wasn't going to be all that successful in the AHL, and that's his track record. So, you know, they either have that or just ignoring it to, to base their decision on, and, and neither is going to be in his favor. Well, they, it's back to the same old problem. The Avalanche are hiring an entry-level position that requires at least three years' experience. Yeah. It's just... We all yeah. been there. I just mean, hope they have a plan this year. Right. I... They need to have a plan. He really, really, really needs to get NHL games this year. I don't think he has to be an NHL fixture, but if he ends this year with zero NHL games, that's a problem. He needs to have enough where he is a serious, realistic contender to start the season next year on the team. Because his I mean, I, competition's I, not getting thinner. It is not. <clears throat> Did you have something else you were going to add there, Earl, or should I move on to the next names on no, the list? It's just, it's, yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, we also saw Nick Henry sent to the Eagles as expected, and Ty Lewis, and, and that pretty much closes out the list of prospects this show had been looking at, who have been cut as we speak. Oh, and Nicholas Malosh, who they turned around and traded for an AHL goaltender in Antoine Bibeau. Apologies to him. I am but a mere American from the Plains who cannot pronounce this shit. Bebo was an AHL All-Star the year before last, and Malosh was a defensive prospect that the Avalanche never gave a real chance to. Presumably because he was a second-rounder and the Avs trade their second-rounders away. It's just what they do. 
Ryan O'Reilly, Stephen Elliott, Chris Pigra, Colby Cohen, Nick Milosh, is latest to join that list. That's just in the last, like, eight years of drafts. And although I mean, Colby Cohen stretches back a little bit farther than that. But honestly, don't be surprised if we add another name this year, too. So tell me what we know about Antoine Bebo. He's an AHL goaltender. He's and just like Spencer Martin. Be an AHL yeah. goaltender for the rest of his career. When they decided not to qualify. By the way, Spencer Martin was an AHL star as well. Yep. I think it was the year before Bebo was. Um, yeah, it's, it seems like a really roundabout way to come up with the same thing. Um, if they're thinking this is their solution as a third goaltender and that he's going to be any better than Warner would be, then yeah, my opinion is that they're wrong. But, you know, it is what it is. The other end of this, of course, is losing Malosh, who, again, is he's in a numbers game that was stacked against him from the start. Right. Yeah, it was, it's been a disaster for two years. They they didn't have use for him two years ago. They couldn't even get him into the lineup. It it, it, it just is really what it feels is, though. like it was bias against a player that had ties to Patrick Waugh. And but but like you mentioned, squandering second round picks is also nothing unique to the situation. So it's just it's sad that we saw this coming. Is what it is, and. Even the deal was much worse than we even could have imagined. I mean, we saw this coming because it was the correct move to get value out of Nick Malosh once they made all the mistakes of putting a million people ahead of him. But you traded a second rounder for an AHL goaltender. Why? Yeah. I'm told that's not very good. It makes the Red O'Bear deal look pretty good. I don't think there's much that can do that. <laughs> this is ultimately not a situation that's going to affect the NHL avalanche too much. Um, which is uh, mostly because of their own doing, to be honest. Like, Nick Malosh may not be an NHL player, but we never really got a chance to find that out, did we? Nope. No. But, uh, you know, since Nick was drafted, look at what they've added as far as guys younger than he is that have already passed him and that's Makar, it's Gerard, it's Byram, it's Timmons. You know, it, it part of that's nothing to do with him and nothing really to do with the Avs, you know, stacking up on veterans, which obviously didn't help, but those those but, players are complete in completely different situations. Like it keeps going I mean they're back younger than they, he is and they're gonna be in the NHL and he's not. So Okay, well two of them are fourth overall pick. Yeah, And to say that you can't develop your own bottom-pairing defenseman who can do a little bit more than a bottom-pairing defenseman can do is, is the problem here. It, it goes back to they don't see any value in players. If you're not drafted in a top six or top four defenseman, forget it. It really does seem that way. It seems like they, they kind of slot where a guy's going to fit in the roster, and if it's not on, on the top half, they have to be forced to put that guy there. and Because that bottom half needs to be filled out with UFAs for some reason. Yeah, they want experience. They value age and experience over whatever a younger, talent, more talented player might give them. Um, 
you know, that's just the way they do business. And I don't expect that to change anytime soon. That's just the way they are. Um, it's going you know, to it could come them. back and <clears throat> it, it could hurt them. I, I, I don't know how you can continue to have a $7 million fourth line when, you know, you're, you're going to be starting to, to pay guys besides Gerard and, and Johnson on defense. And, you know, it's all going to start adding up pretty quick. I mean, good teams can play, play, pay players, four different players, $10 million a season by having ELCs up and down the lineup and otherwise cheap players. It's not it, it's not going to be sustainable and, to do this and keep adding $3 million here, $4 million there. And the other thing is lost asset value. It, it's just they're not going to get a windfall like the Duchesne trade again. They're, they're using picks now. They're using... Like you said, they trade every second round prospect away. Well, pretty soon the kitty's going to get empty as they enter an era where they're going to want to be a big player at the deadline. What are they going to use? Like They're going to start to get into a payday loan situation where they're spending assets that they can't bring in. And that's going to hurt them down the line too. That's how we ended up with the first lost season. So... This is all yeah. a little bit ap- apocalyptic for the, the present reality. Um, it's just looking at an overall trend that... It's just heartbreaking. It yeah. honestly is. Like, this stuff matters. It's not just having fun watching prospects. It's like, this is how you build your organization. And it's just it's disheartening to look at these things happening over and over and over again. And there's no lessons learned. Antoine Bibeau will slot in in the AHL. Um, I don't know if he's... He's actually a... slotting in right now for the... Well, they're going to have to... San Jose. We'll see. Now they have three AHL goalies, so... Does one go to the ECHL? Are they just going to carry three? Ew. We'll see. And then is that going to be Werner or Miska that goes to the ECHL? If I had a bet, I'd if, say Werner. If it's Werner... There was no reason to go get Bebo then. If you're pushing much. your one goalie <laughs> prospect down to get this guy, then that's just stupid. Straight yeah. up. Your your one goalie prospect who's actually played quite well all, all preseason. So let's jump off the AHL bubble back to the NHL bubble. Um, as of September 28th in the evening, again, the, uh, the bubble guys left are Shane Bowers, AJ Greer, Vlad Kamenev, Jason Megna, Val Nichushkin, and that's it. So with Colin Wilson getting healthy and Miko Ranson and returning to the lineup, it's hard to see there being more than a couple of spots available. Um, so let, let's keep this brief with the full expectation that the Avs released their final roster just an hour after we finish up here. Um, but who deserves spots <laughs> from that group? I still think Nikushkin's a lock. He yeah. blocked a shot. With his foot, so he hasn't been on the ice the last few days. But if anything, that gives them like an IR excuse. Is the cap day is on Tuesday, so every team has to be cap compliant by five Eastern on Tuesday. And the Avs usually like to play around with IR so they can be cap compliant, but then they have a couple days before the opening night to actually make their real decisions. So maybe. Miko's situation will be in flux, so they'll need... So basically what I'm trying to say is they might BS a few IRs to keep more people just pass through Tuesday, but... So either Nikushkin's... 
well, they don't care. <laughs> what are they still seven million under? It's not yeah. about the cap. It's about the roster. So yeah. I think he's either a lock or he might start on IR, but he hasn't been bad enough for them to decide to like send him back to Russia. So he's going to be here. We need to accept it. He's part of the team. If everyone's healthy, maybe he's the 13th forward. I don't know, but he's, he's going to make it. Yeah, I agree. I, I, he's not, he's not going to be waived and sent to the AHL for sure. Um, it, it's just that, you know, they didn't get him to do that. So, yeah, I'm gonna the Nichushkin one is the one that's going to be there. We know it, and it hurts. Yeah. Ouch. So if there's no other IR surprises or anything, then, then that's it. That should be 13. I don't think they'll keep 14. I think they've already resigned a wave, Greer and Kamenev. I don't think Bowers is going to make it either. Had uh, Bowers not gotten hurt, maybe. But he took that injury, couldn't play in that fourth preseason game, and or that was the fifth preseason game, I guess. And then, yeah, he's going to get, get sent back now. And they I like mean, Magna, I, but with Miko coming back, you can't justify that. Right. And I, I think the only door that could have opened up either Kamenev or Bowers sticking around would have been if Belmare had actually been injured a little bit longer than he was and you know that that doesn't seem to be the case yeah if 12 of the regulars are basically healthy then that's just what they're gonna roll with right it's just frustrating to be here again um like now we're looking at the, at the bottom end of the forwards you've got a guy in shane bowers who's been really good um yeah and and really fought to try to earn his spot and gotten unlucky with an injury but then you you don't have room for him because you brought back so many old players to play. Yeah, well, Wilson, Wilson timed it nicely, so he missed the whole camp. But he's ready to go. Yeah, and nobody predicted that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's the one that I still feel is absolutely unnecessary. Like I feel there's a lot more for Belmare than than him but yeah we're we're back to this point where nobody graduates and makes the opening night roster so now all of those guys are hoping for a miracle call-up and hoping it's not just megna or dries uh yeah you're not wrong but given the preseason we've seen for them to call up dries over a real prospect would be even bad for them yeah, I mean, he He'll was probably get the he was not in the final five guys that were looking for that last spot if it when it exists. Or even Tynan, he hung around. Just saying, like, they seem like they're really impressed with Bowers. He should be... If they're calling a forward up and it's not Bowers, Cout, Kamenev, or Greer, they're doing it wrong. Right? Then they, then they don't care about development again. I think you can add O'Connor to that list. Okay, we can have the debate if he's a prospect or not, but sure. You Add admitted last there. night he was a prospect. Yes. Jackie, so. <laughs> do we want to go through that again? No, we do yes, not. Okay. I know. Those five. If you're calling up a forward and it's not those five. Yeah. Then you're a silly person. And I blow raspberries at you. The defenders are more interesting than the than the forwards. Uh, there's two spots yeah, open in the lineup, plus a scratch or two, probably not. But 
between Mark Barbario, Kevin Cannot, and Ryan Graves, Connor Timmons, and Callie Rosen. Uh, to my eye, there's a clean line of separation there with Timmons and Rosen on one side of it. Um, so, what do y'all think? I don't think it yep. was a good sign that Timmons didn't play today. Yeah. I th- <laughs> it's either a bad sign or the best sign, right? <laughs> he's either already <laughs> made it or he's not making it. It's yeah, not a decision. he's either so far ahead of everybody it doesn't matter or he's on the way to Loveland. Yeah. And we know that they unequivocally love him. There's anyone that's going to break all the dungeon and prospect rules is going to be Timmons. There's no doubt they're actually going to call this guy up, but I don't. I don't think he's going to make it. I think Peter McNabb kind of hinted that oh, the young guys are going to start in the AHL, and so I think unfortunately Barbario and Kanaden have made it. I don't think they have the stones to waive Barbario. If they do it, listening to this. And they did it, then I'm shocked, but I I don't think they have any sort of desire to do that. No. Rosen's, uh, it might be between Rosen and Graves, because Rosen is the magic 25 years old. He was acquired in a trade. He looked good in the preseason, but he's waiver exempt versus Graves, who they also received in a trade. They also played him last year, but has to go through waivers. I think that's where the decision's going to be, is between Rosen and Graves. And that's why they played tonight. Yeah, and the thing is, with those two, they're not just playing for being the seventh guy to stick around. Like I'm pretty sure that Barbario is going to be the seventh guy. Um, Yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, I don't think they're planning on playing him. I know that Connaughton has looked kind of bad, and playing with the bubble isn't the greatest thing, but they did trade for him, and they, they seem fairly committed to that at this point. So, so Rosen and Graves are really fighting for the sixth spot, so that's a guy that's actually going to be playing in games. And for me, Rosen has outplayed Graves. And even though we couldn't see tonight, it, it seemed like Rosen was a lot better when Graves wasn't around. But Graves got a lot more PK time than Rosen. Yeah. So maybe with rosters space they they'll keep both but they really don't seem to like to keep eight defensemen i don't think they have a choice to be honest with you they've stacked so many defensemen on the team and on the eagles roster we don't need to get into the eagles roster just know that they essentially have 16 or 17 nhl contracted defensemen they have to keep eight (laughs) (laughs) they might briefly but they really hate carrying ad They really do. So Ian Cole is still out for months, plural. Um, Eric Johnson, did did he play today? Yes. So Eric Johnson is back. Even the Cole thing is he might be out for less than months. I don't think so. I think that's false. I definitely think he still won't be back in October, but... Right, okay. Like, they can't be off by months. They... You know, they but might why be are they like having two to four weeks start to practice with the team? Like, what's the point of that then? I mean, that's just a natural progression. It, he he hasn't been doing any conditioning all summer. There's just no chance he can be ready to play in an NHL game that soon. So, <clears throat> once he gets up to sort of speed, then he's got to get conditioned, and that's going to take you know several weeks. I agree. It might not be October, but. He probably yeah. also sees 
the train pulling away. I mean, I think it's a pretty safe bet. It's probably sometime in November. You know, whether that's Thanksgiving or Canadian Thanksgiving, who knows? <laughs> It'll be somebody's Thanksgiving. It's just a matter of yeah. who's. It's not mine. Isn't that Columbus Day? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just to reiterate, by the time you hear this, there's a decent chance that we know who the Avalanche are keeping on their roster. Um, so I'm not going to make us sit here and ham out. Well, who are, who are the final defenders here then? Um, I just kind of wanted to, to have a look at both the, the bottom forwards and defenders and, and get a sense of where we all feel about kind of keeping each of them. Um, like, keeping Shane Bowers would be the dream based on what he has played for and earned this uh, this summer, but seems pretty unlikely with him taking an injury. And then the defenders is just kind of a battle, and there, there's defaults, there's punts, and there's taking a different direction. We'll see what they do. Yeah, yeah and the good thing about both of these questions that we've talked about is that Bowers and Timmons are both young, and they look like they've caught the eye of Jared Bednar publicly and, and probably the whole organization. So, you know, this isn't something where, like, we see them getting sent down and never saw them, never see them again. Well, we'll see, won't Except we? Except for Jackie. I, <laughs> I have faith. I agree the organization likes them, but we need to yeah. see doing. I have faith yeah. on the defensive side, because the Avs showed last year that they were willing to rotate through the defensemen. They weren't the defensemen we wanted, but yeah. with a good showing from Timmins, with a good showing from Rosen, I do believe they can at least get them in the rotation. <clears throat> Do we know how long Kelly Rosen is waiver exempt for? Just this year. Is, is the and season then he, not uh, a number like of games? A, uh, it is yeah. a number of games, but I, yeah, we're I think he wouldn't like, let hit it. He yeah. Hit it. Okay. Oh, really? He wouldn't hit it unless he like sticks with the abs and then he's with the abs, so it doesn't yeah, matter. It's like 60, I think, and I think he's played four games, so we don't really... It shouldn't be a real concern, but... So that's that. Preseason wraps up. The regular NHL season gets underway for Colorado on Thursday the 3rd. Let's talk expectations. And I want to start with October expectations specifically because there's a rough stretch here. Colorado opened with a four-game homestand, which includes Boston and Calgary. Then go play five games in eight days at Washington, at Pittsburgh, at Florida, at Tampa Bay, which is back-to-back, -back, and at St. Louis. The trip ends in Vegas and returns home for a traveling back-to-back -back with Anaheim, and they end the month at home versus Florida. But y'all, look at this. The Avalanche could be fine and really struggle for a month straight to kick things off. Am I am I right in, in seeing it this way? Like, Yeah, 500 is probably a good expectation. Just get yeah, through I the month. I just think, yeah, it's a tough trip, but... You know, every every team on that list is also thinking of their own problems and how difficult it's going to be to go through their schedule as well. So, I know that I, I don't know. Do I don't know how better. much the Av schedule deviates from what everyone else is dealing. with. They usually you know? tend to do well on the early East Coast road trip for whatever reason. They it's do. Because they're really good at bonding. Last season, they did had a travel back-to-back -back at Tampa Bay, and we said, oh, well, this is a massive schedule loss, and it ended up being like one to nothing. So, uh, Road trip or no, this year, this team should be an above 500 team, assuming Grubauer looks solid. Which so. he has, for the most part, which is nice. 
Yeah. So, you know, tough, tough schedule or not, I have faith that they'll they'll come out of it ahead. Yeah, it's I I went through the whole schedule uh, a few days ago in in Discord, and there, there's a couple of stretches like this, but generally the Av schedule is is pretty even in terms of paper quality of opponent. I mean, we we may get to the end of the season and look at this list and go, <laughs> we thought that was going to be hard. Um, yeah, b- but just on paper now, this is one of their tougher stretches in terms of opponent. The nice thing is you're doing it now rather than February or March. So I, th- I think they play six I, I think games it- in March. So that- everyone does that. Like everybody's <laughs> yeah. schedule goes crazy after the All Star break. Yeah, but I just think you, you you have a lot more randomness in October and early November than you do that time of year. That that you know, the late season such a the grind. Saint Louis I think- Blues beg to differ, but. <laughs> and sure, we're here guessing what a tough game is going to be, and we don't know what these yeah. teams are going to be like. So we don't know what what's coming. But with them starting with four games in two weeks and having all that time off, and then going straight into five games in eight days and basically a six game road trip, it's going to be pretty jarring. So it wouldn't surprise me if this team started slow. I will put an asterisk on the six-game road trip because game five is St. Louis and there's three days, and game six is Vegas. So, and I'm sh- I'm sure they're going home in between. Yes. Yeah. It would be really silly to to subject yourself to four nights of the <laughs> Vegas flu when home is in the middle. Right. Yeah. You fly it's over like... your house to go to Vegas for three days. What coach is going to do that? <laughs> no. That's why I said essentially. A... Yeah. And and I'm and I'm not correcting. I'm piggybacking, because that that is the reason that it's essentially. Um, yes. But let's get some predictions in place so we can all be nice and wrong. <laughs> Standings, points, Avs, playoffs, position. I'm assuming nobody thinks they miss completely. Well. Man, TV is just embracing the downer role, isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Well, everyone's high lo- on the rainbows at this point. <laughs> I think the problem for me is going to break right. That all the new players are going to have better seasons <laughs> than they had last year. At least we have Miko that's going to show up at some point. But we're assuming that everyone has the best year possible. Well, I don't, think we have to don't do ask that. me about Burakovsky then, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't think we have to make that assumption to believe the Avs are a playoff team. I don't no, think they'll be all. poor, but I just think this is what I see. I see them maybe being a 95 point team, which is better than last year, and then missing because it's one of those weird years where the cutoff well, is was, different. I just. Th- th- I, did that happen to Montreal last season or were they 96? Whichever it was, they were the most ever to miss the playoffs. Yeah, it's just. Getting better isn't always in a linear direction. Like, I don't think they're going to take this massive step back and be a bad team again. But things happen, and they're going to have to work through some things. Half the team is different. And it's it's going to come down to goaltending a lot. And I do believe in Grubauer. But there's just so many what-ifs that they haven't answered. Like I said, I could see them maybe having an improvement in points. 
but taking a step back as far as playoffs are concerned. I think well, the tough thing for me is that they <clears throat> they haven't answered the a couple of questions that I really wanted to see them work on over the summer, and and we saw a couple of those tonight with the power play, which they actually scored a power play goal. Yay! Second one of the preseason. How about that? Nice. And their three v three play in overtime, and those were two areas that they struggled with mightily uh, overtime throughout the entire year, and and the power play for the last two thirds of last year. Well, uh, as someone who went to the game at home this preseason, that wasn't broadcast. <laughs> Just there having Kadri and Donskoy makes them way better at three on three. Yeah, no, I it just they have to do it. You know, yeah. on paper it doesn't look like there should be that much of a problem. And I, well, I'm hey, not a big lose. believer in Ray Bennett's coaching, obviously, because well, I'm the all they the managed, time. They managed to not lose on three on three. And if they can get to the shootout, they probably have a better chance to win and pick up the extra point. As long I as guess, they put I'd... dropping points. Yeah. I mean, I I just prefer them not getting to as many. I mean, they actually, you know, right? That that's they the historically real did, there. Yeah, they they historically did not play a lot of overtime games up until the last couple of years, and and part of that is probably getting into games they probably would have just flat out lost. So, well, yeah, well, I don't think they got into a lot because they were collapsing leads. A lot of them were um, them coming back. And- boy, I don't know about that. <laughs> Six five against Vancouver with ninety seconds left. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, and, that and... was in the bad stretch. But it, yeah, another thing is Francis. I don't. I like Frank a lot, but I mean, we have to be real that, that there's not a great resume for him at the NHL level at this point. And they're going to need him to win some games. I know. (laughs) It's still going to be like 20 20 or 25 games. So I know nobody needs to worry about the backup goalie. And since we don't have a third goalie at all, but (laughs) he's going to start games and those games count too. He's, he's had enough experience in the KHL that I think whether, whether he starts out slow or not, he, he has the ability to adapt. So, it's and not a I, huge concern. And I think they have four top six forwards. I think they have five, but... Which is an upgrade from the three they used to have. Yep. <laughs> Soderbergh's worth at least, like, a quarter. Yeah, I was gonna say, Soder- <laughs> Soderbergh was a half, at least. But you have to use him as one, and they refuse to... Do... Uh, anyway, um, so... More, yeah, more predictions. point predictions. Yeah. Um Abs I think ninety seven is the low end, I'm gonna say, which is where they'll probably end up, which I think is good for third in the central. I think they finally do get out of that wildcard mix. All of this under the caveat that Grubauer doesn't shit the bed. But I don't think he will. Uh, or or injuries. I do think McKinnon will outscore the Avs in points though. I think he does break the hundred barrier. Nice. Um, I think there's a huge range here. I, I honestly, I would, I'd be surprised if they missed the playoffs, but not that surprised. Um, but I, I think if things go as they should, they should definitely be in the high nineties. I'll, I'll call it 
right on 100 just because that's a that, that's a cool number <laughs> um <clears throat> and I, I i think beyond that i think they could i mean they could challenge for the central division crown in the regular season i think because it's it's always such a weird division in that you know we've gone over this is very different in their style and composition and it it just ends up being a demolition derby all year so it's it's really hard for anyone to really get out ahead um so you know i i could see them anywhere from first to fifth really that's what elliot friedman keeps saying is that he sees five potential cup winners in the central i i, yeah. I think that we're on the rainbow color on, yeah. on the rainbow specs for dallas specifically there um, I was going to say, Dallas is getting so much love. I, I'm not sure if that includes Winnipeg or Chicago. It has to be one or the other. It, it shouldn't I think Winnipeg. people believe in Chicago more than Winnipeg. Yeah, I know. Chicago's I everybody's favorite sleeper this year because they had that late push. Um, and the thing, the reason I would be very surprised if the Avs missed the playoffs is because the Pacific, again, sucks. <laughs> like every single year the central gets both wild cards and i think they're gonna do it again yeah. let's see if that doesn't happen that's kind of where they get caught like i agree people look at san jose and calgary and vegas and that everyone else sucks but arizona might do it They've been on the verge, and They've I seriously They've been on the verge think, for like six I years. <laughs> I, I know. Right. This is not our run. I, I seriously think Anaheim's posed for a miracle year. They're going to play yeah, the I mean, kids. They have John Gibson's. They have great goaltending. I don't think it's going to take a super ton for them to get better. I mean, a miracle year just gets them into the top three, though, and then whoever flounders misses. Yeah, you, you just you have so many of those teams that are just stupid and, and- like Anaheim and Arizona and Vancouver and, and even dra- What if Mink Jesus drags the Oilers or Vancouver can have a miracle year? I don't think no, you can write nobody's off. Dragging, nobody's dragging that barge anywhere. <laughs> you can't just write <laughs> off five teams right off the bat. Uh, uh, those, those lineups that they've been posting, I mean, that's just, that's a comedy routine. Well, yeah, but it's, it's still Mink Jesus. You never know. But I do agree, agree with the general idea that among the Central's playoff teams, Colorado have the most variance within them. I, I would, yeah. It would be a massive failure, and I would be very surprised if they missed this year. Um, but they could win the conference, or they could come in eighth, and I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. Pretty much, it, yeah. It's going to come down... <laughs> like, it's such a cop-out to say it's going to come down to goaltending, but it's also going to come down to other teams... It's it's going to come down to exactly how much Winnipeg explodes. It's going to come down to how much of a cup hangover Stanley or St. Louis has, in addition to you know, not being an amazing team anyway. They just happen to win a cup somehow. Um, yeah, and health too. Uh, that's, that's that's always a big one. Yeah, I mean that's an that's for everyone. One. Yeah. I for me, I right. I don't worry about the goaltending nearly as much as I worry about the scoring, um, and I. <clears throat> I I like the top six, even though it's really a top five now. Um, Four. And again, that that's better than a, the top three and a half. Um, but 
you still need the other guys in the lineup to score some goals, and that's that's kind of where my I don't know. I, I don't think they'll miss, but it's just I, I think that could end up hurting them if the, if the power play doesn't turn around and if they don't figure out the overtime thing. Um, if the offense really leaves them, that that's that's what's going to be their downfall. So when we talk about the offense leaving them, we're talking about losing scoring from Alexander Kerfoot and Tyson Berry. Yeah. Soderberg. Soderberg. Soderberg has been replaced in full by Nazem Kadri. Well, sure. I I don't have any concerns. Yeah, but you were hoping to add that, like, you know, you you didn't want to just replace. But sure, let's say that. Yeah, he adds more than Soderberg for sure. Um, but it's like you wanted to add more to that. I think I'm I'm really impressed with Donskoy so far. I don't know how much, you know, how much he can add. I I think he can be better than Kerfoot as far as production. Um, that would be really nice. I so, I don't know about that. I I'm super comfortable with Donskoy replacing Kerfoot. To be honest, yeah. I, I like both him of them. as a player, but I'm not ready to say he's going to score over forty points. I think if they play him with be... Nas, I think he will. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty comfortable with with saying around forty, and I think his defensive acumen is going to be a little bit better than Kerfoot's, even though I think Kerfoot got blamed for a lot of things that really weren't his fault, but. Uh, he's not a safety uh, guy, but he is a, a Kerfoot is a good defensive player. Right. I mean, he's not good at like defending guys. He's good at getting the puck out of the zone and and helping the puck move forward. Yeah, he's he's clever so, defensively. He did go to Harvard after all. Yeah, clever. That's a good way to put it. And um, obviously, McCarr's but... a big wild card. We don't <laughs> right. we don't know exactly what what he's going to be able to add right off the bat, which we all. Are sure it's something very good. Not exactly. The big question that we're all getting to is Tyson Berry's gone. Tyson Berry added goal scoring. That's the question on the defense, particularly with the Avs power play setup of loving to run it through the point. That's where my question is with the scoring. And I I think a really fair expectation from a car specifically is to come out of the gate on fire. And then come <laughs> January, be like, oh, the, he hasn't scored a, a point in a week. What's happening here? And and just kind of fade out, because that's what a lot of these college guys do. Yeah. Burn and until it, he hits the college wall, and then ash. We're, we're going <laughs> to gonna turn and burn really hard. Well, I feel like it's five-on-five play where they're going to miss Barry. I don't think they're going to miss him running the power play. Definitely. Like, like So yeah. I, do, I do think they might miss a little what... Barry could do with his experience and his I, I don't know if I really want to say consistency, but that he knew how to score in the NHL, getting jump in his face and all that. They're gonna miss that experience of someone like Barry there, but the ceiling's so high on Makar, who knows? One thing I was mentioning in during the game tonight was I I don't think that Makar and Girard paired together, and EJ and Z paired together is going to last that long. I, I just, I, I don't like specializing the pairs that way, especially if it's that's your top four. <laughs> Was that you? This is specializations <clears throat> for insects. It is. It's a Robert Heinlein quote. Um, you know that they really like how Sam and EJ work together. I can't imagine they're not going to do that. 
Right, and I think they'd be fine putting those guys back together right now. It's whether Makar and Z would work together, and that's definitely, you know, that could be anything if you put those yeah. guys together. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, I, I think that would be the, the roadblock to, to going back to sort of having more balanced pairs like that. Right, I mean, the way you end up with more balanced pairs is Rosen ends up showing out defensively and, and becomes someone you can trust. Right. And or they but again, I, I mean, Timmy I... and use him. Maybe it's, it's going to get harder to call up a guy like Timmons as the season goes on, and you get Ian Cole back. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I think he's just going to come back and get injured again. So what's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's when EJ's yearly will happen. Yeah, he, I mean, Eric Johnson, like he obviously had an injury last year, but he did play the whole season. Which means, yeah. see, it still happened. <laughs> it, it means his pattern is this season we're missing games. Pretty sure and, and it's terrible. I don't want to forecast injuries. I, it does make me feel icky to say anyone he's going to be injured. But I, I want him to prove us wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean it, you can pretty safely project Colin Wilson and Matt Calvert to miss a few games. <laughs> I know Cal- Calvert's definitely riding on the regression. <laughs> That's all because of the way they Train. play. It's, that's nothing personal against those guys. That's the way they play. Yeah, I mean, Calvert never played a full season until last year. I mean, <laughs> that was a real aberration. Calvert is just so go, go, go 100% of the time that you're going to break every once in a while. Yeah. So, um, for, for me, my standing, I don't want to put a solid number on it because of that variance thing, but I do think upper 90s um, with a ceiling of 100 is would be my proje- my projection. If they break 100, I think that probably has more to do with the rest of the division than it does with Colorado. I think that would be um, Minnesota sucking more than we expect and, and Winnipeg falling off harder than we expect. Let's just say don't trade your first. Just, let's They're going to trade the first. No, no they can't. <laughs> Come on, they can't any other way. Come on. They've they got so much it. they don't even know what to do with it at all. <laughs> so, so Earl's already on de- on paper for a century. How many points do the rest of you slot in for Nathan McKinnon? Uh, one oh three with forty eight goals. Oh, wow! That's mean. <laughs> I'm going to say one hundred and seventeen. Holy wow, my okay. god. He's having a <laughs> here. Yeah, I think Max going off. <laughs> well, I'm not going to predict an injury, so I'm going to say 100. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the 100 barrier is something with Mac that he's really been oh, so close to and not getting it. And well, with the... Crosby and Marshawn having 100, that's just... Yeah. He's hearing about Can't it every day over the summer. It's just eating him inside the whole time. So if he breaks, he's one of those guys. Mark, I think. Will he finally be happy? <laughs> will he not? Depends be on the day that you ask him that question, <laughs> <laughs> or if Burkowski's around. He's <laughs> such an no, intense dude. Such an intense dude, with McKenna. He's not gonna yeah. be happy till he gets a cup. Which is a good attitude to have. 
Yeah, I just I see him like if he's near a hundred, like near enough that he's definitely going to break it. He's just going to accelerate through and just go bananas because I, I think that's definitely one of those things that's sort of a weight lifted off his shoulders. Um, I, I think it, it it might be kind of like last uh, or sorry two years ago, um, you know when he finally you know got to be the point per game guy and, and it just it got easier for him. Sheesh. And I, I think when he gets to that next level. And he's like, yeah, I can be a 120-point guy. No problem. And it, it, he'll just be that. Imagine the 100-point mark being a burden. <laughs> well, I still think he's going to get to 100 in, like, April. So yeah, I don't think he's going to pass it in, like, February. So with, with all that in mind, where do we put Miko Rantanen? <sighs> yeah, see, this is tough. I the Eight. See here's sixty-five assists. Rudo's feeling mean tonight. Forty-eight goals, ninety-eight points. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I think McKinnon's not hitting a hundred. Miko's not close behind. Yeah. And I think Miko does have the talent where he could actually pass McKinnon one of these years. I also think Miko's going to have a slow start. So. I think Miko might be at like 80 here. You know, I was just doing Miko's highlight vid. You sure and were. You were spending a lot of he, time on it, too. I sure was. There's a lot of points. <laughs> <laughs> but I noticed that he has the magic a little bit. Okay. This he does. Season, last season for him started with a lot of empty net points. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, fake points. Yeah. My favorite. Um, and I think that's going to continue and, and help him speed up his start a little bit. Yeah. I mean, when you're the F1 on a good line like that, you're going to be getting those points, you know? So I, I can totally see and that. And he's the I, only thing that makes the power play work. Maybe Kadri will also, but a yeah, lot of the power Kadri play runs through Miko. key there. Miko's so passive on the power play. I, I think Kadri is, is going to be able to teach Miko to be a, a little less passive and Mac to be... Or sorry, yeah. Miko a little less passive and Mac a little more sort of thoughtful at, at what he's doing out there. Well, when you put up that... I don't even know. You called it like stat vomit or whatever. And it was the power play. It was like every single person that scored had like a primary from Miko. Yeah. It's like, it, oh. it looks like he's not being aggressive on the power play, but somehow he has a lot of primary power play points. I mean, I, I think the way that clicks a little better with Kadri is Kadri actually knows how to get open in the middle. Yep. Instead of <laughs> just being closer. like... Rantanen would just look at the bumper spot last year and say, okay, I'm just never going to pass it there. Yeah, it's like he can't see Comfer because Comfer's like five feet tall and he's hidden behind somebody. And then Willie can't move, so he's not open. So so who who knows, if Miko and Kadri, maybe it's just explodes into this magical power play and they're back at 30%. And we yeah. never have to worry about it again. And, and we never talked about this, but I... I like the idea of Miko coming into camp and rolling right onto Kadri's line and having those guys just be buddies. I just um, I don't think there's any way they can do that now. Nah. I, I think they can do it. Well, who do you put on McKinnon's I'd... right wing then? It's not Burakovsky. Donskoy. No. 
You'd have to put there. Ghost there I, if you're I, doing that. I love Don Skoy. I would not do that. <clears throat> I would not do that to Nathan McKinnon, which would be therefore not doing that to Jonas Donskoy. I he hasn't like thrown anything at Don Skoy or yelled at him as far as we know. So <laughs> I mean, no. it's not hard to be better than Burakovsky in that spot. Everybody is just... so much better served with with Miko slotting right into the first line, even if it's a slow start, and you can just keep Kadri together with Don Skoy. They've been they they've showed that they work well together. Right, I would yeah, not and that makes two up. And that makes me feel better about not, you know, about keeping the three-headed monster together and not putting Miko with Kadri right away. But I do think long-term, if you have two lines, if you have a Landy Mac and a Kadri Miko double-line combo, that's just you're not stopping that. Is Kale McCarr a Calder winner or just a Calder finalist? <sighs> I, I think I mean unless Hughes gets injured, it, uh, it just I don't I don't see it them giving it to anyone else. Uh, I think Kako takes it actually, but finalists is what I would say. As we mentioned, the college wall is is a very real thing, and he would have to buck the trend to avoid it. Yeah, it's yeah. tough for a defenseman to win unless you're Quinn Hughes. So if if you're yeah. putting Capo Caco in the Calder winning position, then Rudo, are you putting the Rangers back in the playoffs? I don't know if I'm putting them back in the playoffs, but I am putting them as at least in the race. I think they're the most improved team of the off season. I think that's going without saying. <laughs> like, I mean, it'd be hard well, to find some someone of these, that disagrees with that. Some of these kid teams are going to have a miracle year. Maybe not all and- of them. Not the Rangers. Their their blue line is still Vomit City. You don't like Truba? Truba Truba and Fox? (laughs) I just don't believe in it. So, um, obviously we expect, uh, you know, second line center role and numbers from Nazem Kadri. Um, What what expectations do we have from some of the other new guys? Um, The new guys being, uh, you know, Belmar, uh, Burakovsky, Donskoy. Um, I guess that's it. Uh, Belmar will be exactly what he's always been. 15-point fourth-line player that plays 85 billion minutes of PK. (laughs) (laughs) Not worried about him being anything but that. Yeah. Yeah, I Um, agree. Even though I think maybe this year he'll bump the points up a little bit, kind of like Nieto's year, the year before last. I worry a little about Belmar's uh, durability just because it hasn't been great so far. And we all know how, you know, JB has that effect on older players. He breaks them. Uh, he <laughs> breaks them. He is hard on them guys. But um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I think once he gets sort of used to that kind of Bednar mentality and practices and, and the, the conditioning and whatnot, um, you know, he's he's going to be real solid back there. And I, I have to separate this. Like, Rudo and I were talking the other day. Is, you know, he's a great guy. He's going to be great for younger players, older players, just to have in the room. It's nice to have a guy that can win a face-off in a defensive situation. Nice to have on the PK, hopefully. Um, 
you know, and we balance that with we don't like the contract and, and sort of how he's blocking the, the younger players on the team. But it's just, you're, I, I think everyone's been right in saying that everyone's going to love him. He has a role. He, Bill Murray doesn't bother me. Like, they finally have a guy that, for the fourth line, that is in his proper role. And yeah, they shouldn't have to pay that much money for it, but that is a different issue. Yeah. I just don't like basically all the random wingers they've added that they think are going to do more, and I don't really think they are. They have a lot of 30-point <laughs> wingers. So oh, thir- 30 would be a step up for pick. a couple. Yeah. <laughs> um you know, a couple guys I'm worried about already. Obviously, Nachushkin was a was a terrible signing, and it's probably going to be an albatross. Yeah, it's the for... one I forgot. I knew there was one. Nachushkin yeah. will honestly... be banished pretty quickly. I think Bednar kind of learned that lesson with Yakupov. Yeah, he he doesn't um, seem to like him much. But Burkovsky is something he's tough yeah. because he's super useless unless he's <laughs> where he was at the beginning of the season, which was on the first line. Um, now that he's taken sort of a dive down the, the lineup and it looks like he's probably going to be either out of position on the second line and, and sort of a fifth wheel out of three guys there or even lower in the lineup, that's troubling. I mean, if you can't get at least 15 goals out of Burakovsky, it's a disaster. And... He did score in the most the last preseason game. Nobody has any idea what it looks like, but he did score. Yeah. No one can prove sounded... that it happened. Right. Well, I, think, I think our one buddy that was sounded there good to me. A nice shot. Yeah. So. I mean, um, he has a nice shot. You know, that's what right. he, does. he does. But he had, like, <laughs> realistically, for him to be called a successful acquisition, he needs to score twenty goals or more. And he's not going to do that if he's not playing on the second line. Yeah, that's fair. So he has to be able to function there, and maybe he can. Maybe he was going 70% the entire preseason and, and kicked it up for this last game and got his goal. But Yeah, the, the, the question there is, is can Kadri and Donskoy's sort of defensive possession game make up for his late Burkowski, yeah, Burkowski's apathy. <laughs> he also played two shifts in the second period, which is, I know it's the last preseason game, like, they're trying different things, but he had the lowest time on ice out of everybody. A little concerning if this either he, he tweaked something and had to sit out, or <laughs> he That's probably really the better. Lost his, <laughs> had lost his spot in the rotation there for a little while. Yeah. I don't know. No, I mean, I, it He's obviously not a tryhard, so it, I'm sure Bednar's yeah. patience with him is, is starting to wear thin already. No, it's just so obvious the guys that he likes and he doesn't like. I, I think the one point in Nikushkin's favor is that he's definitely not a tryhard, but he's a power forward, and they have like no power forwards. He's not the a tryhard, but he's not an, he's not lazy either, and, and that's something I'll give him. He's not a floater. Um. But it's just he's 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 a he's a diesel, you know. He's just sort of <laughs> two thousand RPMs grinding away at the same speed the whole time. He's not going to go that fast, but he's not going to go that slow. <clears throat> and that you know that that might appeal to to Bednar a little bit more than than Burkowski's inconsistency. I, 
Wouldn't that Basically, be something if he scores more than Burakovsky? <laughs> I would say for everyone outside of Kadri and Donskoy, if you have expectations, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. I think yeah. that's a very fair statement. Yeah. Yeah, because you're basically you're talking about a couple of fourth liners that or three fourth liners that may or may not be playing much higher than they were last year. What kind of split are we expecting on the back end between Philip Grubauer and Pablo Francos? Are we talking I would love to see a 50-30, but I think 60-20 is more realistic. And, and this is assuming perfect world here. This is a no-injury situation. Right, yeah. You can come in and say, well, I think Philip Grubauer is going to take a puck in the face and miss the whole season. Fuck. Oh, like, Bednar. <laughs> they be really screwed if that happens. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Most Bednar has to be fair. always wanted to ride one goalie. He's always tried to do that. Um, even with Varley getting hurt, he would try and ride him when he could. I think he's more comfortable giving Grubauer the starts, particularly after the end of last season. Anytime they need a win, you see him go right to Grub. I think that'll be the same. Unless the Avs are securely in a spot. I think so too. I, I think you're going to see Grubauer play back-to-back. I think Grubauer is going to play... I think Grubauer is going to play most after the All-Star break. Until then, who knows? You know, if, if Francis can go in there and, and you know be a backup and, and play 500 or better, um, they'll take that. But he has to get to that point. He's going to have to exactly. earn that kind of trust. And I think, well, he doesn't have that trust. Bednar is going to... Like, the Fransu's experiment could have been more of an organizational thing. If Bednar's not 100% on board with that, I, then he's going to default to pretty Bednar. high on Frank after the good game. You know, the bad game, I, he definitely didn't like. But the, the, the good game that Fransu's played... <laughs> he just has no room. He liked the good game and didn't like the bad game. Shocking. Didn't like the bad game at all. I would, none of us did, really. I mean, that was just a bad <laughs> game, but. Well, it was a bad game for a lot of people too. I just. It wish... was, but it was really bad for him. What I really <laughs> wish is that, is that Paul Frank's first start this season would not be his first career start, and it didn't have to be. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's not his first NHL out. action. But when do you think he'll get that first start? Do you think he'll get one of the four home games? Nope. They're too spread out. Definitely on the road trip. He should. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> he should. Do you want his first start to be like in Pittsburgh or something? I mean, yep. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it it's tough to. I mean, you've got to do it sometime. Dude, and Crosby's a good time to do it. All right, you'll fool Crosby when he doesn't have a book to read on a guy. Hmm. I say. Maybe they'll play him against Arizona because he did play against that team. Twice. <laughs> Only once. <laughs> Just I could see him get that start. Yeah, that makes sense. Any other expectations that y'all have for this season that you think we should talk about today? I think there's two. I, I think we should get a number on record for Makar, and I think we do need to talk about Joe's. Yeah, I was going to say, there's one guy that really hasn't gotten any talk so far, and that's Tyson Jost. Well, let's talk about Jost? Tyson Jost. 
he's such an enigma, man. You yeah. can't predict anything with him. It could be twenty points. It could be fifty. That's exactly. You how can't I even predict how the staff is going to use him, and that's my main problem. Okay, well, how much do you need to see from him? It all depends on what he does. I mean, where is where is he going to be? Is he going to be on Kadri and Donskoy's wing? Well, that's kind of a function, right? If you use Bednar's line, you get what you earn. Then that, then where he is is a function of how he plays, which is also a function of what he's producing. I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> what they need from him also drastically depends on what they're getting out of Burakovsky. I think it also depends on it. <sighs> At the end of the year, it really looked like he was getting the center thing. And over the summer, it really looked like you know, he ought to be the third-line center. And they've, they've kind of put Comfer in there, but now not, not so much. So are they thinking about making Jost the third-line center, which I'd be totally fine with. I, I think that's exactly where he should be. And you know, if they can afford to do that as far as having someone else be that sixth, top six guy... Um, I, I, I think, think if, if he was consistently the third-line center, he could grow into that role and and do well at it. I think he's got to do 45 points. If he can't Holes do what Kerfoot did, then they're going to have to have serious thoughts about his future with the organization. And it's not like he hurts them. Like You could play him and you can get 30 points and he's not a big liability or anything, but I think if that's all he is, then I think you really can't count on you can't hitch your organization to that long term. Yeah, if if that's what he turns out to be, then you wave a sad goodbye to Matt Nieto this summer, and that's Tyson Joe's new role. Which is fine, yeah. but I also don't think that's not the guy you sign long term either. Nah. Yeah. And the problem I have with the third-line center role, which which looks good for Jost now, is Bowers is kind of maybe being fast-tracked to being that. So Well, you have to use your third line for actual young players. That, that should be the goal moving forward. But we'll right. see. So it, the, the best thing for Jost would be to be on Kadri and Donskoy's wing and, and be able to put up you know, top six numbers. So nah, we're way too far in the weeds here. Jost just needs to look solid. It doesn't really matter where he plays. I don't know. I yeah. think they've got to answer that question. I, I just think for, for a long-term a job on this team, he needs to be able to, to play with Godry and Donskoy. some definition. It, it's nice that he can move everywhere, but you can't go into another summer of like, well, Jost could do something. We just don't yeah. know what. I, the problem is, I think they know what they want Joe's to do. They want him to be Colin Wilson, but better. And he just wasn't capable of doing that for the entire first half of last year. And the it's, hope is now that he is. <laughs> if he can't be better than Colin Wilson, then... Come on, Willie's a hero. <laughs> <laughs> what, for the three weeks out of the year he shows up? Yeah, they're big three weeks, though. The main problem with with setting Jost into that kind of, well, he is what he is, and he can be all over the place kind of roles, you've already got one. It, you sure do. That's JT Comfort. You just signed him for four years for some reason. Yeah. Like, how many of those kind of, like, bouncy forward guys do you need? If you're Jared Bednar, six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, sure, you'd, you'd love to fill out your whole bottom six with that guy. Why not? 
But, that's not but I think it also prevents them from moving forward. That too. So I, yeah, it's tough either way. It's just an awkward situation. Um, and it's just it's impossible to pr- put a number prediction on that because on, on any given night he could be scratched here or he could score two goals and have an assist. Yeah. He's got to at least be what Kerfoot was. I don't think that's asking too much. And then I, I the person, I, I don't remember which of you it was, the person who said, let's put a number on Kale McCarr, go first. I did, yes. Um, let's see. So is it 40 points is the barrier? Is that yeah. like the magic number? Yeah. I'll say 35 then. I think he'll be right under it. I think if he hits 35, he has 25 of them on January 1st. The same, but better. 43. But he's going to have like a stretch where he doesn't score any points for like 15 games in February. <laughs> We are begging you to prove us wrong about the college wall, Kale. Let's go. <laughs> Show us what's up. I think they'll, he'll do great five on five and have no power play points. I mean, not like literally none, but he's he's going to do a lot more five on five than on the power play. And people are like, oh, you only got 30 points. And a lot of it will be five on five. So are you but- saying that Sam's going to take the PP1 job or he's just going to be out there and, and magically get no points? Well, either, both. either the power play is going to be Garbo, more likely, <laughs> or the power play points are going to be sucked up by forwards. Right, it'll be like Kadri, Nico, McKinnon instead. And I also yeah. think Sam's going to get a fair amount more power play time than people expect, but I will admit, I didn't think they would give the power play one job straight to Makar, and they did. But I think I think they're going to switch it up a little bit more than they in the past. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think those guys might become somewhat not interchangeable, but they're 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 going to go back and forth with those guys, or you know, maybe <clears throat> um, do some swapping quickly. You know, rather you know, Barry would stay out there like he would never go in. Um, but I I think they might do some things like like swap Makar for Gerard before the forwards come off, things like that. Just to, I mean, they, they've got to do something to, to change the look there. Um, or more within a game. If they're getting like three, four power plays, they might Yeah. either switch them or switch the units, something like that. Well, it's nice because they're, you know, people look at them as sort of the, the same kind of defenseman, but they're really not. They, they, they do very different things well, so I think you could you could kind of fool some teams by putting a different guy out there and and have to make the defense react a little bit more. Um, I would like to see that. Yeah, I think we all would. I, yeah, and I'm going to be optimistic as usual, and I'm going to say Makar gets 47 points. That would be quite a rookie season. It would, and if he's gonna can, if he's gonna be in top three in Calder voting, that's pretty much a minimum. Yeah, he probably needs forty points to be in the Calder voting. Yeah, 
he's got to be threatening 50, really, because the forwards have a much easier job. Well, I think this is going to be um, just like a really exciting season. There's a lot of really interesting stories to keep an eye on. Um, and we've and we've hit on pretty much most of them. Just kind of like what kind of return Miko Ranton is going to have, what kind of season Kale McCarr is going to have, where how, how strong of an impact will Nazem Kadri have on this roster? All all these kinds of questions. Like we're gonna, it's gonna be these are fun answers to to track down this year. It's a lot better than yeah. some of the past seasons. Be like, well, what what kind of team is this, and can <laughs> they? defend the, the play in their own zone at all and things like that uh rudo what you just put in <laughs> chat does not open for me um so it's it's really exciting just to kind of see what's going to happen this season um our next show is two weeks from this weekend and there's four games coming up in the meantime starting on thursday calgary flames um hello round one rematch <laughs> All these games are 7 o'clock Mountain Starts on Altitude, so here's the homestand. Thursday <laughs> On Altitude in theory. Assuming that you get Altitude, which if you have District or Comcast, you do not right now. Uh, here's the homestand. Thursday, Calgary Flames. Saturday, stupid Minnesota Wild. Then we get a bye week, because shit, it's a long season. You need a break. Then on Thursday, <laughs> the Boston Bruins, followed again on Saturday by the Arizona Coyotes. You know what I'm going to ask y'all? Give me some predictions. Six points. They really do need six, I agree. So if they get six, I'll I'll stay on brand for this podcast and say four. I think they win three games. And I think the game they lose is one that makes us mad, so not Boston. Because they, they do well against the Bruins, for whatever reason. They sure do. Um, so whichever game they lose is going to piss us off. And I know which one that one is. Which of those forward piss us the most off they lost? The stupid Minnesota Wild. Nope. Uh, yes. It's a Calgary loss in OT, and everyone's going to lose their mind. <laughs> <laughs> if Kachuk plays, but Miko's still tied up in red yep. tape. <laughs> so it's a five-pointer. With that being the OTL and everyone's going, we're going to lose 15 games in overtime again. What's a five-pointer? You mean five My out prediction of... is a five-pointer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not five one of those, those rare five-point games. <laughs> I was so confused. Everybody knows opening night's worth triple. <laughs> <laughs> Two points each period. Two points each. Yeah, that each period counts as a game on opening night. Don't y'all know anything? Damn. <laughs> so, um, this is not the biggest week of the season. So, re regardless of what happens, there's a lot of games. Everyone likes to freak the fuck out in October for some reason. But this is why I started the prediction section with what I did. October could not have the avalanche at the top of the standings. Um, if they're at the bottom, that's a problem. But if they're fair to middling through October, that's a pretty good sign for me. And I, I really do think that starts with uh, three wins and a loss in the next two weeks. And you got you hope they beat Minnesota because that's the division game. But Arizona or Calgary would also piss me off. I always get annoyed if they lose to Arizona. Which they yeah. often do. <laughs> <laughs> This is also true. 
Hopefully they don't, but if you do, you know, you can find out here. Thanks for joining us for another season of Burgundy Radio. Um, you can catch the show on all the places I mentioned at the top, which now includes Spotify, just as a reminder. Um, make sure to give the show a follow on Twitter at Burgundy Radio. I'm going to try to use that account for some, like, game tweeting this season, as opposed to using my personal for that. Um, so, because, uh, there's, there's reasons. Um, but I'm going to try to use at Burgundy Radio for stuff during the game this year. If you want to, uh, yell at me about what you're seeing feel free i will uh i will laugh and read um so or it could make the show it could make the show you, if you could say make something, the show if you crack me up enough i will put your shit on the show <laughs> <laughs> you might be famous so yes please send me your shit posts and we will see you um two weeks from today whatever today is as you listen Damn, how slow is your internet? There it goes. <laughs> oh, I'm uploading the tank of a Miko thing on the backside right now. So yeah, that's, that's oh my right. god, that's land. Right. So Landy, <laughs> this is Landy's Instagram. So he yeah. must have done this. Posting a picture of Miko's crotch on fire. <laughs> <laughs> what is? Not wearing pants. Yeah, he's, that's, he's got his his junk like fucking saran wrapped with ice or something. I think I can't tell. He's not wearing pants. <laughs> hey, it's me. It's me doing a podcast. 